Well, it was 2011 when Time Magazine published a very controversial article at the time entitled, What If There's No Hell? And in this article, the author, largely drawing from a book by an ex-pastor by the name of Rob Bell, argues that the way we've been translating verses like the gospel reading for today for the last 18, 1900 years has been wrong. And in this book, Love Wins, by, again, a former pastor by the name of Rob Bell, he argues, as many of us have wrestled with this question, how could a loving God ultimately send someone to eternal hell and eternal fire, eternal punishment? And I got to admit, we were uh, laughing, Pastor Abel and I, before this sermon, because this is one of these gospel readings where the very last sentence the gospel message is some are going to eternal punishment. And then I say as the pastor, this is the gospel of the Lord. <laughs> because this makes us uncomfortable. Because we ourselves, perhaps it's convicting to us. And we might wonder existentially, philosophically, spiritually, am I one of the sheep on the right? And we also wonder about people that we know who don't share faith in Jesus, and we are worried about them. It's a lot easier to ignore this, isn't it, than push it under the rug, than really deal with it and address it in a biblical way. But today, it's in front of our faces. We can't not talk about what the text says. And here's the real change. In the last, I don't know, 6,000 years of recorded human history, we've all, as human beings, wrestled with what happens to us after we die. We talk about it, we question it, we wonder it. But what is new is the way biblical scholars have looked at texts such as Matthew 25 and the way they interpret it. The new way that many secular and Christian scholars alike, exegetical uh, uh, students of the text, exegetical just simply means the way in which we find interpretation from the text, they translate this, they find meaning in it, what we'll call in a social justice lens. Social justice lens goes something like this, that Jesus was a very great, good, moral teacher, and Jesus was a very good person, and what he wants from you more than anything else is that you would be like him and be a good moral being. And so when we look at a text like this, and Jesus says that to the, uh, you gave me something to eat, you gave me something to drink, you invited me in, you clothed me, the meaning that is extrapolated from a more social justice viewpoint is that this is what God wants from you. It's to do all these things that we see Jesus doing. But the question for us today, is that what Jesus is actually getting at? Is this what he's teaching in this parable on the last days? And to get there, the key to this, to know what Jesus is actually talking about is this verse right here, Matthew 25, 40, where Jesus says, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it to me. The question is, who is Jesus talking about? Who are his brothers in this text? Now, in order to do that, we're going to have a little fun this morning. We're going to get geeky, nerdy pastor today, and we're going to do some exegetical study. We ourselves are going to look deep in the text, and we're going to try to find out, first of all, this is the first principle of doing any sort of exegetical work, what was it like to be the first hearers of this text? What was it like to be a first century Jew in Israel? What was it like to be one of the 11 disciples? And from there, we can maybe get a little bit more of an understanding of what Jesus was trying to say to them 
so that then we can take meaning and find it for ourselves today in our culture. So let's do that. Let's look through this text. And if you're following along at home, it would encourage you to uh, grab a Bible and uh, follow along. We're going to flip through some verses here. And first of all, Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory, he will sit on his glorious throne. Now, Unless you're a student of the Old Testament, you may not know that Son of Man is actually the fulfillment of prophecy from Daniel 7, 13 and 14. And the Jewish people, especially the disciples, would have known that the Son of Man was really the Messiah. And Daniel prophesied that he would return one day and he would come with great glory and he'd be sitting on his throne. And the Jewish people were waiting for that day. They were waiting for the Son of Man, for the Messiah to return and free them from their Roman occupation. Then Jesus says this, before him will be gathered all the nations. Now, we gotta pause here because for a Jewish believer in that day who believed that they were the chosen nation of Israel, that God only saw them and had them in mind, this would have been a little bit shocking. Their ears would have perked up a bit. What Jesus is saying here, what he's suggesting is that actually the kingdom of heaven is multicultural, it's diverse. It's not just the nation of Israel who can have a taste of God's kingdom. It's not just Scandinavian and German Lutherans who can have a taste of the kingdom. It's global. It's for everyone. God wants all nations to be brought to him. So they would have been listening now. They're paying attention. And then, of course, we see Jesus use a very familiar word in those days. Shepherds were well known. There were sheep and goats and herds everywhere. Then Jesus gets into the teaching. He says, and he... The king will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Now, this phrase, on his right, this also has deep meaning for an ancient Jewish person. Because in those days, in the ancient Near East, if you were to have a fancy dinner, let's say after church today, you invite me over for lunch, and I sit at the right side of the host, of course, six feet away, Everybody at the dinner table would know that I am the honored guest if we were in the ancient Near East. It was a way to show honor to your guest. And so what Jesus is saying here is he's putting those on the right, the sheep, in a very prestigious way that the first hearers would have gone, oh, yes, I see what's going on here. And to the sheep, he promises them, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you. This is heaven. Inherit the blessings that God has in store for you. And to the ghosts on the left, he says, depart from me, you cursed. Harsh language. Go into the eternal fire prepared for you, or prepared for the devil and his angels. And so we have sheep on the right, we have goats on the left. And this is where really the two lenses of interpretation begin to differ. On the right-hand side, if we're looking at this through a judgment lens then this is going to mean one thing. If we're looking at this, though, through a social justice lens, the meaning of this parable is going to go a completely opposite direction. And again, the question I want to bring before you is, and the question everybody's asking is, how do I become a sheep? Because in this case, you don't want to be a goat. And this is not America where goat means greatest of all time. That's an acronym that we use. We don't want to be goat in any situation. We, we, don't, we want to be a, a goat in the judgment lens. We don't want to be a goat in the social justice lens because we want to be a good person. But we've got to answer this question. 
Because this is how we're going to find the meaning. This is how we're going to discover what Jesus is actually saying, is answering this question, who then are the least of my brothers? What does Jesus mean? Who is he talking about? Now, the second step of doing an exegetical study, then, is to look and see, does Jesus use this word, the Greek word for brothers, anywhere else in the text? And we're looking at the Gospel of Matthew, so let's look through uh, some other verses of Matthew where Jesus uses this exact same word, and he uses it multiple times. And every time he uses it within a teaching to his disciples, he uses it as a, a, a relationship standard. Here's what I mean. Look at Matthew 18. Jesus says, If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him. And if he listens to you, you've gained over your brother. Now, Jesus in this moment is speaking to his disciples, and what he's really saying is, If your fellow disciple sins against you. In our context, if your fellow member of our Father, your fellow Christian, your brother or sister in Christ, that's why we say we're a family of faith here at our Father, because you're not a nuclear family, but because of Jesus, you're a spiritual family. And Jesus starts this in verses like this. So we're going to have what we have here is a horizontal relationship. Jesus says that when you become a fellow disciple, a fellow follower, it's like you have a brother or sister in Christ. But then he also says this. This is Matthew 28. Now, the resurrection has just happened. Jesus has freshly, wrote, has freshly risen from the grave, and two of his followers, two women named Mary, meet him at the tomb. They can't believe he's alive. They fall at his feet. They're weeping. They're overcome with emotion. And this is what Jesus says. He says, do not be afraid. Go and tell my brothers, same Greek word used in Matthew 25, verse 40, to go to Galilee, and there they will see me. So we've got the horizontal relationship, and now Jesus is opening up a vertical relationship. He also calls his followers his brothers, his sisters. And so 40 days pass. Jesus teaches his disciples. He opens up their mind to Scripture, the Old Testament. He sees, he shows them how he's the fulfillment of prophecy, and then finally they meet on this mountain in Galilee, it's the very last words of Jesus on earth. He says this, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples, more brothers and sisters in Christ. Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them, teaching them. Now, very last thing he says. This closes, up the, the, closes out the book of Matthew. Lo, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay, now, that was a lot of Bible study. That was a lot of text. That's a lot of me talking. If I've lost you, come on back. If you're watching online and you're texting on your phone, I know that's what you do sometimes. Come on back to me. Here's the point. Here's what we're doing. Do you see that Jesus is connecting Matthew 28 with his previous teaching in Matthew 25? He says that when the Son of Man comes in his glory, and what did he say at the very end, Matthew 28, 20, to the end of the age, these are the exact same moments of time when Christ will return, as we say in the creed, to judge the living and the dead. He's gonna be on his glorious throne. It's the same two, times, same two places in time, and then he says this, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. And what does he promise? You will be with, I will be with you always until the end of the age. And when you put all that together, there's really only one way that we can interpret this word brother or my brothers in this text. 
It's those who have been called specifically to make disciples, who've been called to baptize, who've been called to teach. Remember, Jesus is addressing those on the right. Those are the Christians who have already heard the gospel. And so my brothers, the least of my brothers, are a specific narrow group of people in this text. He's talking about your pastors, your missionaries, your called church workers. For us, we have DCEs, Courtney and Cassie and Karen. For crying out loud, can we please get a female church worker here whose name doesn't start with Ka? That's not even counting Kim and Carly. Try to name somebody in our office. I dare you. What Jesus is saying here, it is about judgment. It is about the end days. And what he's saying here is how you respond to those who proclaim the gospel to you is evidence of your faith. And what I love about this passage, if we go back to verse 34, the people are clueless. The sheep, they have no idea. They say, Jesus, when did we do this to you? When did we clothe you? When did we serve you food? Wouldn't we welcome you as a stranger? Well, let me give you just a personal example of what this looks like. I've been a church worker for 20 years. I've served at two different churches. And do you know for 20 years, my salary has been provided for, which has given me and my family opportunity to eat and a place to live? Do you know that I've received encouraging text messages and emails and conversations out in the lobby area from you encouraging me and praying for my family? And I'm thinking of the time when we welcomed our newest church worker. That was, uh, uh, now nah, see, I'm blanking on their names again. That was Courtney. We saw her on the screen. Do you know what our congregation did? They welcomed her. She was a stranger. They gave her gifts. And again, if you've done any of these things, you don't even know what we do sometimes when we respond to the gospel. Remember what Jesus says. You're not doing it to us. You're doing it to Jesus himself. So this is a text about judgment, which maybe then brings us back to that place I mentioned at the very beginning, a place perhaps of fear. Fear either for ourselves, how do we know? Do we really have faith? And what about those people that we know who don't share our same faith and, and we fear for them, we worry for them? If that's you, I wanna leave you with two points here as we conclude, as we close. Two practical applications. First of all, we, believe it or not, we need to keep our focus on Christ's return because Christ's return is a good thing. Christ's return is a good thing because sometimes when we just kind of go through life and we forget that Christ is going to return as a Christian, we can become complacent. We don't need Matthew 25 to be a social justice verse because the Bible is filled with verses that challenge us, that ask us to care for the poor to care for the sick, to visit those in prison, to help the marginalized of our society. And sometimes when we get so complacent, we forget that Christ is going to return. We forget that and we can become a lazy Christian. And so it's a wake-up call, first of all, for some of us that God has called us to do these things, to live into this identity as children of his in this broken world where there's so many people who don't know Jesus, who don't share the love and the faith that you have. And some ways that we're doing this in our congregation, just brag on our congregation just a little bit, we take this very seriously. Just this week, we're gonna send a check for almost $8,000 from our Benevolence Fund and from special offerings from some of you to Yesleta Lutheran Mission. They're doing great work on the border, caring for the immigrant, caring for the poor, caring for the sick. 
That's our work shared collectively together. Going on in our lobby right now and in our uh, fellowship hall is something called the Alternative Gift Market. It's another place for us, an opportunity for us to care for the sick, to help those marginalized all over the world. We're doing that. You see, it's a response of the gospel. Let's not be complacent. But then lastly, and most importantly, it's a good thing that the king will return because it's what our heart longs for the most. It's what we want deep down inside. Think about what it means when Christ will return, when the king will return. It means an end of things like COVID-19 and isolation and lockdown. It's an end to things like racism. It's an end to things like war and starvation and all the things that people are struggling with in this world. It is Thanksgiving day after day after day. And the good news is you don't even have to unbuckle your pants. It's heaven. And it's a day when we will finally see our king face to face, the one who gave everything away so that we could have eternal life, so that we could have the kingdom of God forever. That's Jesus. He loves you so much. Would you turn to him? Would you receive what he has to give you today, eternal life? It's yours today. In the name of the Father and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.